0: Nerds and geeks, hold on to your seats, cause it's about to go down. <coughs> Welcome to Nerdorama,
1: the voice of the nerd nation. I'm Mo Kelly. He's Tawala Sharp, and together we bring
0: you your daily dose of nerd news, analysis, and conversations with the best and brightest of the nerd verse. Up first in the news, dig this. The DC Universe is adding an HBO Max upgrade option. Yes, if you weren't already confused as to everything going on with HBO, HBO Go, HBO Max, and now the DC Universe app, well, throw another log on the fire. Because, okay, I want you to understand this. DC Universe subscribers like yours truly, King and Tawala Sharp, who has been a DC Universe subscriber since it was in the beta phase. Like when it just had coming soon on the homepage, nothing else. I was down with it. I was there, been telling you about it since. And yeah, when it rolled out, it gave us all types of bells and whistles and boom. I love it, right? But now subscribers to the DC Universe app are being given the option to upgrade and add HBO Max at a discounted price. Yes, I just got an email sent to me via my DC Universe app today with an offer to upgrade and add the HBO Max app at $4.99 a month. Which, actually, you know what? When you think about it, it is a discount. Because I have a premium subscription to the DC Universe app, which runs about $60 a year. Which yeah, when you break it down, that's what, five dollars a month or so. Then if I was to add the HBO Max upgrade at four ninety nine, roughly another what five dollars a month, my DC Universe HBO Max subscription would be about 11 dollars after taxes. Now my current HBO Max slash HBO Now subscription is about fourteen ninety nine a month. So I could righteously cancel my HBO Go, HBO Max subscription and just get the HBO Max upgrade through my DC Universe subscription, save myself some money and on the surface, get the same content. Although I really do like HBO Now versus HBO Max, just as far as accessibility and getting, you know, the content that I want, even though, yeah, yeah. HBO Max does offer a few more titles than HBO Now, i.e. The Losers. You can get The Losers on HBO Max, but you can't get it on HBO Now. Boo. Major boo. And now the plan on HBO Max is to start offering more DC content, i.e. DC films, to the platform. But yeah, these are films that are being taken away from the DC Universe like Swamp Thing and Doom Patrol, even though you can still see those on the DC Universe app. And then there's Harley Quinn, which just ended season two, which was amazing. Yeah, that's now coming to HBO Max after finishing its run on the DC Universe. And I look, I know this is all very confusing. And truthfully, we don't know which app of all these apps is going to survive. Is it going to be HBO Max? Is it going to be HBO, HBO Go, HBO Now or the DC Universe app? At which point, the real question being is, when is HBO going to get it together and just deliver one concise app? That's the question. And seriously, they can tease us with all the new content they want to, but until it actually hits, it's all, yeah, I don't know. Seriously, because now fresh on the news that Michael Keaton will be returning to the Batman franchise via Flashpoint, it is being rumored that Michael Keaton is being considered for a Batman Beyond series, wherein, yes, he plays the older Bruce Wayne to Terry McGinnis's Batman Beyond And if what we're hearing about Flashpoint is true, this could happen. This could happen if Michael Keaton portrays the Batman that we met back in the 80s. But that's neither here nor there until something happens, like in the case with the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Right now, Zack Snyder is teasing a huge surprise for the re-release of the Justice League film on the HBO Max app when it finally debuts late next year. To which, in a recent interview, Snyder was asked, are there going to be any surprises, any new features, any newness to the Snyder Cut To which he replied, fuck yeah, huge surprises. You have only seen the tip of the iceberg of what I had intended for this film. And that would have to be true considering there's over an hour and a half worth of new content being added to the already two plus hour release that we originally saw. So yeah, I'm sure we can expect some big surprises, but... He didn't say what those surprises were. So, yeah, I guess we're going to have to wait until, what is it, July of 2021? Maybe, maybe, based on what I'm hearing about Ryan Reynolds, the big surprise he's talking about is the addition of the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern. Yes, it is being reported that Ryan Reynolds is returning as the Green Lantern in the Snyder Cut. And I know, why is that something to celebrate? Why would that be something that we cheer, seeing as how the Green Lantern was one of the worst superhero films ever made? It was like damn near a step above Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. Really, really, really bad movie. And true, he redeemed himself in Deadpool, even going so far as to kill his Green Lantern character in Deadpool. That was an amazing moment. An amazing moment that I'm not sure I want to see undone, but, but. Even still, yeah, I'm a little curious. I'm a little curious to see how that would work. So we shall eventually see. Also in the news, for those who care, because I do not, because I did not like the series, but the boys, the boys are coming back. Season two, it is upon us. The official release date has been announced. September 4th. Yes, 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 yes. I know it was supposed to come out in July, but coronavirus, come on. COVID hits, everything in Hollywood had to shut down and get reshuffled. But but now, after all is said and done and they were able to finish production on the second season of the series, Amazon Prime is over the roof with the announcement that the boys are back and they went so far as to give us an extended season two preview.
1: Baby kale salad? I'm on page 134. Chain of command doesn't apply to other military contractors in the field. I don't see why it should apply to us.
0: Caprese sandwich.
1: Well, when they're in actual combat, whom exactly do your heroes report to? Same person as always.
0: Me. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm well until...
1: Spicy chicken cilantro wrap? Subheading 16. We need a top-secret Yankee white designation for Compound B. Come on, stay in Only one man. Okay, is that? You want to stroll into the Oval Office and start barking orders? Hell yes. Half our own heroes don't know they have Compound B in their veins.
0: You want China finding out? Pleased to meet you.
1: This one, best efforts to limit collateral damage, we'd prefer stronger wording. Well, that's standard language for our New York contract, L.A., Chicago. Exactly what casualty allowance are we looking at here? Officially? Zero, of course. But Cone of Silence,
0: 34%. Veggie frittata? Mungkin be up with not mod this <laughs> year? He the هل تترق بالحقيقة؟
1: آه، هاي جملة تمام <تصفيق> أنا بفتكر إنه <تصفيق>
0: yes yes if you're excited about that then buckle up because september 4th again the boys are back and yeah once again i am not excited about it i know maybe it's just me but this first season of that series did nothing for me it really didn't there was nothing mind-blowing nothing that made me just go oh this is dope no sorry Something I am looking forward to, and I know this is a total, total different direction, but I am really looking forward to Hamilton debuting on the Disney Plus channel. Yes, weird, right? Look, I'm a huge fan of musicals. I am. Annie, The Wiz, I'm down with the musicals. But this, this is actually a play that I really, really wanted to see. Like I was raring to buy tickets to the LA run when it hit, but again coronavirus yeah it all went south so i was bummed that i didn't get to get the tickets to see that but i am extremely excited to see this come to the disney plus channel and i'm especially curious to see how they managed to do it on the disney plus channel by way of censoring it you know cutting back on some of the language because from my understanding there were some f-bombs dropped in hamilton a few shits here but no motherfuckers And just because of that, and yeah, many other reasons, I really am looking forward to seeing this debuting on the Disney Plus channel this Friday, July 3rd. Oh, and in talking about the Disney Plus channel, something I'm very, very excited about. The Mandalorian is finally going to get the comic book treatment. That's right. It has just been announced that Lucasfilm is going to create a new series of novels and comics tied into the Disney Plus series, exploring the history of the Mandalorian. Most likely some of the new characters we were introduced to, like Cara Dune or Imperial Warlord Moff Gideon. Maybe find out how he obtained the Dark Darksaber. Whatever the case, I'm looking forward to this hitting the shelves courtesy of Lucasfilm Press. And in some other breaking comic book related news, it has just been announced that three directors have exited the comic book legal defense fund amid industry pressure. Yes. After the same industry pressure led to the ousting of executive director Charles Brownstein, Executive members Paul Levitz, Katherine Keller, and Jeff Abrams have all departed following Brownstein's resignation over abuse allegations, marking yet another huge win for the Me Too movement within the world of geekdom. But, 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 that's not all. Because I have just learned that comic book legend Scott Labdell has just stepped down from his role as writer of Red Hood and the Outlaws after new sexual misconduct allegations have surfaced. Many are saying that he is stepping away from Red Hood and the Outlaws to avoid controversy. And as soon as he announced his departure from the title, almost immediately New allegations were levied against him from creators Tess Fowler and Alex DeCampi, both who have shared their allegations on social media. Allegations which have sadly become all too familiar now within the world of comic books, with everyone from Mike Cole getting dropped from Vault Comics to Dark Horse severing ties with writer Scott Alley, Warren Ellis, and now Scott Lobdell, who is not new to this because... Several years back, allegations were levied against him, allegations which he did own up to, but still, this type of behavior in any industry, I don't care if you work in the food industry, the hotel industry, the automobile industry, or the radio industry, this type of behavior cannot be tolerated, so bravo to those brave women who are stepping up and letting their voice be heard. And with that, my friends, I now turn it over to my brother from another mother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo, with a brand new edition of The Buy Pile. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting
1: lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> Hello oh, and welcome to The bi the only online comic book review column with a writer featured on Afrolit Sans Frontières. I'm your host online, Gadfly Hannibal Taboo, and you can find me on social media at Hannibal Taboo, or look up anything you want to know about me on my website, HannibalTaboo.com. Enough about me, let's get to the reviews. There are four sections of these reviews. The titular of Bi-Pow is for books in a series that have been bi-worthy more than three issues in a row or from comics so good they demanded purchase in the moment. Let's get started with Die Number 11 from Image Comics with the creative team of Kieran Gillen, Stephanie Hans, and Clayton Cowles. If you've been reading this meta-fantasy theme series for some time, this issue will be very rewarding, as it gives quality attention to characters and themes that have been percolating for months. If you have no idea what's going on and have never read this work, you're going to be completely lost and have no idea what in the name of Gary Gygax is going on here. From the front page of the book, in 1991, six teenagers disappeared into a fantasy role-playing game. Only five returned. In 2018, they're all dragged back in. They can't go home until six agree. They don't, the party wars. All this includes a brand new tabletop role-playing game invented in part by Gillen and world building that's deeply developed and entrancing, running vague but not derivative similarities now to Curse of Strahd and other possibly familiar settings to the 5e crowd. There are vague parallels to classes you might recognize. The Grief Knight is a kind of paladin Godbinders are like lazy Susan warlocks. Neos are like artificers, sorcerers of code. The fool is a brash rogue with the luck feet pumped up into overdrive. The kind of odd classes are dictators, which are like a class built entirely around the spell's charm, dominate, person, command, and their ilk. And finally, masters, who serve as the architects of the relative rules for localized reality, who by practice have a bad experience if they try to play directly, a la a Dungeon Man. Two members of the group hold court in the vampire kingdom of Angria, where they seek to enforce their idea of positive change on the world they fear they have abandoned. Three more are fugitives and desperate to return to the real world. The last one, well, that's a long story, but he's mostly out again. As stated, if you've been reading this book, you know the struggle the Grief Knight has gone through. You know the sacrifices the Godbinder has made and the shocking work of the dictator, as well as the numbness she's experiencing. Kieran Gillen's script here gives her and the Grandmaster a surprising moment of intimacy and friendship, while dual-wielding the visuals of Stephanie Hans and Clayton Cowles in a crafty and effective action scene. The work is literary and engaging, as development's here, and its visuals are all sweeping and gothic. True, it's not made much to bring in new players, but this game is afoot, and the play is definitely at a high level. Rating is by. Next up is Suicide Squad number six from DC Comics, with a creative team of Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo, Adriano Lucas, and Wes Abbott. Once upon a time, the United States government decided to offer some of its worst convicts a chance at redemption through clandestine black bag missions as Task Force X, colloquially called the Suicide Squad. This went predictably destructively for years and years, leading to a superpowered cadre called the Revolutionaries infiltrating the squad to shut it all down. Now, the Revolutionaries are part of the newly combined squad on the run in Gotham City, having murdered their handler and in intent to take down the power pulling the string. Even if you didn't see the cover that would make clear what, some of what's going to happen here, Tom Taylor turns in a king of a script that gives brushes of characterization for most of the ten main players here. Deadly Six is good with computers. Chaos Kitten has a soft spot for dogs. While delivering some truly memorable action scenes. Why is this collection of miscreants in Gotham City? Harley Quinn knows somebody who can remove the bombs the Task Force X installed in each of their bodies. And it's not someone around her Coney Island apartment buildings because this series has enthusiastically avoided all of that continuity. Unfortunately, the problematic power behind the curtain has put a plan in motion that'll make Gotham even messier than normal. That inevitably brings the bad out to play, and he shows off his detective skills, as well as his gift for pugilism. As Harley Quinn says, it's not the first time I've stood in a Gotham street surrounded by mysteriously unconscious people. I'm not gonna lie, it's never ended well. With a wonderful nostalgic twist from Wes Abbott, Bruno Redondo, and Adriano Lucas, there's a fight scene here that's really, really, really good. It leads to an epic time stalling one-on-one between Batman and Deadshot. Just when it gets good, the interaction between the two characters gets even better with a dog, a computer, and the offer of a phone call. Tom Taylor makes this dialogue super engaging and the whole package is overtly entertaining. Rating there is buy. The next one is a pleasant surprise, which is Captain America Marvel Snapshot. It's number one from Marvel Comics with a creative team of Mark Russell, Ramon Perez, Rico Renzi, and Joe Sabino. This very clever and surprising issue takes an alternate look at the aftermath of 1973's Captain America No. 193, putting a true human face on the cost of the mad bomb detonation that turned New Yorkers on each other. The events are seen through the eyes of Felix Waterhouse, a naturally gifted engineer from the South Bronx who just wants to go to college and develop his gift for technology. Unfortunately, the detonation of the Mad Bomb changes the course of his life, leading him to deliver truth to power in ways he never could have expected. What's best about this Mark Russell script is its subtlety, the patience in which it lays out its play and gives characters something they rarely get a chance for in a major label licensed book, development. Captain America learned something here, and if there ever was a hero who was well poised to get a lesson in 1976, it's Captain America who should receive it. The art from Ramon Perez, Rico Renzi, and Joe Sabino could easily be showing parts of the Bronx today, as well as the 1970s, where casual disregard from the city's powers to be, costumed or otherwise, have often left a disenfranchised population to their own devices. We all know what they say about idle hands. The visuals present crystal clear storytelling. The splash page with the madness gripping the citizens is particularly gorgeous. Kudos for the period-appropriate ads, but the lab scenes are Kirby-tastic too. All this maintains a whiff of nostalgia that could make this issue appear like a lost classic. Is it problematic, all the suffering that a black man has to go through so some empowered white people can eventually figure something out? Of course. But that unfortunate trope from the Green Mile to Captain America Civil War has led to other valuable moments, so it's kind of a pyrrhic victory to see Cap finally working to save the people who suffered instead of avenging them. This issue is a pleasant surprise that, had it really affected things in the past, might have led to a less horrible present. The rating here is by. The second section of our reviews is called Honorable Mentions for books that were good, but maybe not good enough to get your actual money out of your actual pocket. There we find Batman No. 93 from DC Comics with the creative team of James Tenny and IV, Guillaume March, Javier Fernandez, Tomio More, David Barron, and Clayton Cowles. For some time, the Dark Knight detective has been chasing a ghost of criminals past. Close to the time of his debut, a master criminal called the designer Panda, Panda, Panda came to Gotham City with uh, proposed upgrades for the Riddler, Penguin, Catwoman, and the Joker that would have essentially been a lawless version of Pimp My Ride for their extra-legal careers. Unable to fathom the madness of the Joker, the whole plan fell to pieces, and the designer apparently disappeared, only to return years later to face a much more skilled bat. Keep it real with you, prior to this issue, the whole storyline felt rather dragged out, like a comedian staying on stage long after the venue flashed the light for them to see it. This time, however, ah, this time, we finally see the spark of something different when it hits. It's one of those insert-chef-kiss-gif moments that's a distinctive pleasure. Writer James Tenney in the fourth script delivers that moment with such deftness that the genuine surprise it elicits from its victims is impactful. Sadly, there are less effective elements. The Joker's new gun-mall punchline is literally a cliché, yet somehow does not seem overly concerned fighting the much more experienced Harley Quinn, who has quite a resume and should have handled this much more efficiently. Every scene in that segment is off-putting, like a badger holding its own against a bear. There's one moment where the Batman has a mask in his hand that doesn't exactly make itself clear, which sort of makes sense if you look at the background of a subsequent panel. Yet, it seems somewhat implausible any of this could happen, given Batman's renowned martial abilities. If examined too closely, elements of the narrative begin to unravel like Weezer's sweater. There's no denying the cleverness of the reveal, but it was a little clunkier than it needed to be to get there, so that rating is honorable mention. The third section of the reviews is called the Meh Pile for books that weren't bad, but they didn't go all the way to being good either, often having their positives and minuses wash each other out in the middle. Here we have Thor number five from Marvel Comics with the creative team of Donny Cates, Nick Klein, Matt Wilson, and Joe Sabino. Thor and Galactus stand together against the sentient force that ended the universe before the one we know, empowered and bloodied, but ready for a fight with a heck of a twist ending. Here's the thing. This book is gorgeous. Thor is awash in the power of the All Father and the added might of the power cosmic bestowed by Galactus. And he may not have made this much of a visual impact since John Romita Jr. showed him standing toe-to-toe against Thanos and Mangog. Nick Klein, Matt Wilson, and Josephino present a simply magnificent show of power and divine glory that's well worth seeing. Sadly, the story behind it is much less impressive. While Thor technically fights against the end of everything, there's a lot of voiceover telling you what's happening more than the visuals show. That's literally the opposite of what any high school writing teacher would mark you down for. The actual mechanics of this battle are largely abstract, and that's less engaging than this conflict could be. Likewise, this montage section was too inside baseball to connect, trying to shortcut the idea of a threat without developing it natively. Admittedly, there's one twist in the last act of this issue that's a true surprise, a layered revolution, revelation rather. that could make one stop and think about literally hundreds of previous stories a different way. It's one of those moments that overcomes a lot of deficits, but this issue still is far more sizzled than stake. Swinging a miss, last, but here we are. That rating is meh. Final section of the work is called No, Just No, and it's reserved for comics that are absolutely terrible and should not be purchased under any circumstances. Good news, no books received this rather odious honor this week. With three purchases, I'm going to call this week a win, but I'm happy to see what you might think if you want to comment or what have you. I can't promise that. I can't promise I'm going to read them. But again, please be safe out there. It's a pandemic, and we need you here. All right? My name is Hannibal Taboo. You can find me at com. I'm always elated to be here alongside my good friends Moe and Tawala. I'll see you next time. Hey guys, Mo Kelly here. The new daily Nerdorama podcast is featured on iHeartRadio. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed to get your daily dose of nerd news. Also available on iTunes, Spreaker, and all the top podcasting apps. It's free and perfect for everyone in your nerd family.
0: Nerdorama is produced by Tuwala Sharp and continues to be a segment on the Mo Kelly Show, weekends on KFI Los Angeles. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nerdorama News. Until next time, keep it comic.